Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have another exciting episode for you. I have a gentleman by the name of Richard Little, who is the uh, CEO of exsurgio.com. Uh, so exsurgio is uh, a neurofeedback company. So they have developed this wonderful neurofeedback device that is going to be helping well, probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world with chronic pain, uh, a very, very interesting new cutting-edge technology. And Richard himself is a multi-award-winning inventor and engineer with numerous patents to his name. And in the past, Richard has held a, a range of different directorships and C-level and other senior positions in a range of engineering, military, and medical businesses. He's one clever man. Richard's previous enterprise, Rex Bionics, was listed in an IPO in 2014. And what they did was create the exoskeleton, which is absolutely amazing. And I have seen what the exoskeleton can do for people who are in wheelchairs or who have things like multiple sclerosis. So an absolutely amazing inventor. Now he's combined uh, the exoskeleton with the neurofeedback. And what I was absolutely enthralled to see on one of the videos was that they can now control the exoskeleton with thoughts, not 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 actually having to use your hands or anything like that. They can control it with thoughts. Just think of the possibilities that this is going to open, the, open up in the future. Um, this technology is also being used in stroke and, and rehabilitation for people with aneurysms and strokes and uh, disabilities. Um, I'm really, really excited for all this uh, bio and medical technology that's coming on board. So I'm going to be having some, you know, a fair few of these interviews, I think, in the future around in this uh, exciting area of uh, exponential technologies that are coming on board. So I do hope you enjoy this interview with Richard Little from Exsurgio. Um, and as always, before the uh, podcast, if you just let me remind you, we have our Boost Camps webinar coming up starting on the 1st of September. And if you're listening to this later, we will be holding these regularly. This is an eight-week uh, webinar that is all about upgrading your life. So helping you optimize your health, your well-being, your mental well-being, and your performance. Uh, it's all about learning all about the health fundamentals and how to deal with stress and be more resilient, more mental toughness, stuff that you really need to know to optimize your life. So go over and check all that out at peakwellness.co.nz. That's peak, P-A, sorry, P-E-A-K, wellness.co.nz forward slash boost camp. Boost with an S. So it's not boot camp, it's boost camp. We're going to boost your life. Um, and also we don't forget we have our Patreon program for the podcast. If you enjoy the episodes, if you get a lot of value out of it and would like to support us on this mission to keep educating, inspiring and empowering people with these incredible interviews with amazing people, then please support the mission with just a few dollars a month. We really appreciate that. And for, for your troubles, of course, there are a lot of exclusive member benefits. You can find out all about that at patron.lisatarmity.com. It's really the price of a cup of coffee a month to be involved there, and we'd appreciate that. Um, 
And lastly, our epigenetics program. Uh, don't forget about that. If you're wanting to optimize your genes, you're wanting to understand what your genetics are all about and how to optimize your health, your environment, your well-being, your, your food, your exercise, your mood and behavior, your hormones, all of these areas of life and to understand how your body ticks, then we'd love you to come and check out our epigenetics program. You can do that at lisatarmity.com and hit the work with us button on the top there and you'll see our peak epigenetics program there. Um, go and check it all out. And if you've got any questions, of course, reach out to us, support at lisatarmity.com. And as always, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews for the shows. Uh, it helps people find the show, helps improve our exposure, and we really are grateful for that. It has been a long labor of love doing this show, so we appreciate your support. Right, now over to the show with Richard Little. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits. I'm super excited today. I have uh, an amazing gentleman with me who's going to share some mind-blowing stuff. So I have Richard Little sitting uh, up in Auckland, aren't you, Richard? So welcome to the show. Um, indeed. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to meet you. And mind-blowing. What a great pun to start the show with as well. <laughs> now, Richard, you are a... How would you describe yourself? Like your 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 body of work and what you've been working on in the last decade or so is just absolutely fascinating. But I don't want to sort of take the words out of your mouth. So can you give the pe- the people a bit of a background in what you do? Um, usually, I say dumb engineer, um, <laughs> but the you know what we're trying to do is you know through through some history which you know personal history which inspired me to get involved more in the medical space um i'm an engineer i'm not a clinician and so what we try and do is bring our engineering skills into that field and we try and actually you know our our kind of basic mission is to make life easier for clinicians and patients while getting a better result and saving money and if we can do those things, then, then we've done something fantastic. Um, our most recent work has been in the field of neuroscience, which we're um, very connected with. It's all about rewiring the brain. And this time, what we've done is we've invented a brain-computer interface that reads the electrical activity in somebody's brain. We use that as an input into simple games, which are neurological exercises, really, but in the form of games, the patient sees them, and that helps retrain their brain. So for something like chronic pain, we're actually able to to treat that chronic pain, and actually we're we're as efficient as, as the prescription drugs that people would use just now, but none of the side effects or anything else. We have a massive effect on things like sleep and anxiety and depression as well. Um, and so we're, you know, we're expanding our, our knowledge in that space and we're, we're hopefully bringing that out to the market next year as a commercial enterprise. Wow. And so the company is called Exergo. Is that how you pronounce it correctly? Um, yeah, Exergo. It's Latin Exergo. for to stand and to, to rise, to recover, which we thought was very appropriate, but nobody can pronounce it. I think the Italians <laughs> pronounce it Exergo. We, we say Exergo. Exergo. So Exergo. So th- this is a, a neurofeedback device that yep. measures, measures the, the brain waves or the electrical activity in the brain and then helps people to train because, you know, neurons that wire together, uh, how is it, neurons that, that fire together, wire together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're basically training your brain not to actually uh, respond to these pain impulses that are coming coming through. Is that how it works? That, that's Pretty much it. I mean, we know that you're right. Neurons that fire together, wire together is what the, the, the clinicians would say. And we know that you can retrain somebody after 
after they've had a brain injury, after they've had a stroke, that kind of thing. You know, that's well understood science. It's called neuroplasticity. Um, and what we do is use that very same uh, principle. And it's it's kind of like, uh, it's called operative, operative conditioning, but it's like classic conditioning, where we positively reward somebody when their brain makes changes in the right direction. So, you know, the headset that we use, neurofeedback's been around for a long time. Um, EEG, electroencephalogram, which is what this headset is, uh, has been around for nearly 100 years, 1924. There was a wow. German chap called Hans Gerber who stuck a voltmeter effectively in his son's head and, and measured electrical activity. And by 1927, they were actually using that to for medical purposes. And if you go into any major hospital or clinic in the world, there's an EEG device there and they use it for diagnosing things like epilepsy and, you know, looking at sleep patterns and even for brain death for somebody who's who's met with um, trauma. And so that's a well understood principle. And through some science that was done with fascinating history, but through some science about 50, 60 years ago, there was uh, some work done to show that you can actually modify those those brain patterns and you can actually do that for, for good. And, and what we're concentrating on is chronic pain. And how we kind of think of it is, or how I think of it in my simple engineering terms, is that there's two types of chronic pain that I think of. There's many more, but simply, if you have a an injury, a tissue injury, say you injure your shoulder, I injured my shoulder kayaking a few years ago. I thought I was still 18 and not apparently. Um, <laughs> and carried on as if I was, injured my shoulder, it's painful, I don't move it, there's pain signals there in my brain. In fact, there is no such thing as pain sensors in the body. Um, it, it's warning signals, it's heat, it's temperature, it's pressure, it's all those things that the brain's interpreting as pain, and that really is like a fire alarm saying, don't move the shoulder, you've hurt it. And that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to preserve that 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 tissue. So what happens with some forms of chronic pain is after a period of time, the tissue injury has healed, but the fire alarm's still going off. And that could be that you're mistaking pressure for pain, etc. And in that case, you know, there's no ongoing injury. Then there's the other type of pain that I think of, which is something like, say, arthritis, where you have, you know, an, an ongoing tissue injury, if you like, where there's pain being caused all of the time. That's two different kinds. The first case, um, in some ways, is sort of simpler. We deal with both, but the first one, is, in some ways, deals that it's much easier. We take that fire alarm and actually teach people just to turn that down, and in fact, mostly to turn that off, and many people will get a complete cessation of pain. Wow. And so what we do is we measure with that simple headset, and different locations on the brain, those little black dots are sensors that read the electrical activity that's happening in the brain. We transmit that to a wireless device, so, you know, um, iPad or your phone, um, and we would use the electrical signals as a, as a game input. So they're always fluctuating. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the, the screen, you will see these, and we do things like jigsaw puzzles or a balloon rising in the sky or simple bar graphs are very... Um, focused, psychologically constructed, I suppose, games. And those games will move in in time, in real feedback time with the, with the, the electrical signals in the brain. And the brain actually makes a connection between what's happening inside itself and what's happening on the screen. And every time the pain signals, if you like, are turned down, you get rewarded 
on the oh, screen. Wow. And the brain loves a reward, right? So it keeps yeah. doing that same thing and it keeps reacting to this positive reward. And that has the effect of clinically turning turning down people's pain. And we're we're talking about, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the people who are doing this um, are actually getting reductions that are clinically significant in their pain. So greater than a lot of, a lot of drugs. Oh, better than medications. Better than a medication. And, and if you know anything about pain medication, it's horrible. Oh, it's horrible. You know, I'm so glad we have it. You know, you really yeah. want to have that stuff. It's a fantastic tool. This is another tool. It's not. It doesn't replace everything that's out there. But, you know, look at the opiate crisis and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Anything in those pain pills, there, there's they need real management there's lots of side effects there's lots of issues with them and if you're not across that management then then it's really difficult to get them just right and that's actually what we see with our chronic pain patients is it actually takes generally many years for for them to get to a pain specialist so what yeah. happens is people are pain they'll go to their family practitioner who prescribes some drugs they'll try again they'll try again they'll try again they'll try physio and these people end up bouncing around in the yep. healthcare system for ages mm. consuming vast quantities of, of, of resources cash and, and resources yep. and time and not getting the, the relief that they need so it's actually the one of the most expensive if not the most expensive healthcare issue that faces yep. the world yeah, so pain is worse than, than cancer and heart disease. Cancer, heart right? disease, diabetes, that? yeah. Wow. I mean, US is $635 billion a year. Wow. And, and in five countries, being the US, the UK, and three European countries, it's about a $1.8 trillion a year problem. Wow. Imagine if we get that money back into the health system. Amazing, yeah, and and if we could actually ease the suffering. I mean, I've just come through a bout of shingles. I had shingles, and it right. took it took me. Well, it's been two months now, and I'm only just coming out the other side. And um, the pain signals, like when the, I, I knew that there was a time when the virus had actually done its thing and it had finished, but I was still receiving the pain signals. Now I've still got like numbness in that, in that area. Having that chronic pain for that period of time really made me very empathetic to other people who have constant pain because it's horrific. Um, and, when you don't have a way out, and I, I'm very reluctant to take painkillers because I know the side effects, but there were times when I just could not stand the pain and I had to grab to them and then they didn't really work. Yeah. Um, and so I was doing in my, you know, very limited knowledge of what to do. I was doing my breathing exercises. I was doing my meditation. I was trying to distract my brain because I, what I was fearful of was that the brain would create this chronic pain signal and then I yeah. wouldn't stop having that signal yeah. um, and so I would do things like go and have a, an ice cold shower in the middle of the night just to break that pain signal yeah. and I don't know if that you know <laughs> if that worked or or it felt like it worked um, yeah. but is, is that the sort of thing that you're dealing with here when you actually can break that pain signal by retraining your brain not to actually experience it? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of think of the pain stuff as a negative feedback loop. So, you know, it is a it's a it's a negative feedback loop that the brain's going into, but also sort of becomes that across people's lives as well. So what they'll tell us, and I don't have chronic pain, fortunately, but what they'll tell us is because of the pain, they struggle to sleep. When they struggle to sleep, that's a form of torture. Yeah. And then that affects their mood because you're not sleeping. And then, you know, you end up with anxiety depression. and depression. And, yep. and then you're anxious about doing things because you don't want to cause yourself more pain so you stop doing the things that you love doing yeah. and the things that are important and meaningful to you family friends hobbies that kind of thing so it tends to make people's world 
negative and smaller. And if we can relieve, and this is where it works for the second group of chronic pain that I was talking about, where you might have an ongoing injury, we're not going to solve arthritis by, by turning down these pain signals. But what we can do in both cases is when you turn down the pain signals, people do the things that are good for them. And we all know what's good for us, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. Now you've not Exhaust. got that pain, you get a better sleep. And when you get a better sleep, you get better mood. And when you get better mood and less pain and a better sleep, you will go and do those things that are meaningful and important to you. And that lifts your quality of life. So that lifts your mood, which then lifts your pain. And so you just find yourself in this virtuous circle, I think of it. Spiral up. Um, yep. And you spiral up instead of spiraling down. And it's sort of as simple as that. There is there is lots of physical effects of it as well, because the, the brain is very much, um, our neuroscientists would say, it's very much like a mesh or a net. So when you pull on one part of that net, you affect others. So for things like the arthritis, we were very, very surprised. And, we're not now that we've done further research into it, but originally surprised to see that people's swelling, for example, or inflammation would go down because wow. the area for inflammation sits underneath the pain area, if you like, or the area oh, wow. with pain. So when we pulled on that and we're able to reduce inflammation, then you allow people to do those things that they love more. And so you've not just got the the electrical change and biochemical change in the brain, but you actually have this physical change in their bodies as well. And then does that hit the inflammation just in the brain or in the body as well? Like in the body as well. So wow. you know, our, our favorite story, and I think it might be on our website, is that the lady with the psoriatic arthritis. I don't know much about it, but it gives people what they call sausage fingers. Their fingers are so swollen they can't use them. And this lady who was on a, a trial, we did a trial last year in the UK on this. We have another large trial running just now in, in New Zealand and back in the UK and some other trials doing other things as well will come to. Um, but you know she she was a school headmistress, you know, her passion was writing and um she couldn't write because her, her fingers were so swollen she basically just couldn't bend them she couldn't use them and for her being able to and the medication by the way that you take for that condition is horrendous the side effects are horrible they say it's like having leukemia oh um, and so she chose not to take the medication because the side effects were so bad and actually we see that with a lot of people who come to us they've been they've tried everything and a lot of people will just avoid that medication if they can and suffer the consequences none of it's good um, there are times for taking the medication but they'll often not and for her you know for those that, that reduction in, in the swelling in her fingers you know allowed her to go back to her, her real passion which was, was writing um and Fantastic. you know it's just a, a brilliant thing to see happening and, and that physical change to see that swelling reducing on somebody's wow. hand when we're, we're we're messing with the brain and there yeah. physical changes in their body well this uh, is the master command isn't it i mean if you can affect some of those inflammatory pathways and uh yeah it would affect the body so it, that's well, just that's just my point you affect everything. I mean, you know, you're smiling just now. That's if you I asked you to describe how you did that, you wouldn't be able to tell me. It's all this complex electro bio signals that are coming, you know, chemical changes in the brain, and it all happens in that split second, you know. And we know very little about this. You know, I like to think at Exarge, we know quite a lot, but um, there was one scientist in, in Europe who said we're one mile in one, one inch into a one mile long journey, and, and wow. maybe it's even a longer journey than that. There's a lot of unknown um, in what happens with the brain and how all of this stuff works. And in fact, um, we find ourselves now when in doing this work at the sort of edge of that science, you know, there's lots of things we'll try and read up on. It's not in the literature, you know, we're out there 
pushing the edges of us, pushing the boundaries as much as we can. So, so Richard, you, you've got a bit of a story, so if you don't mind sharing, because we were talking prior to yeah. recording, um, you know, I was telling you about my mum and, and, and how I managed to get her back to, to full health after a massive aneurysm and stroke. And you you had a mum who had a, had a stroke as well. Can this technology be used um, for people like, you know, stroke um, sort of stroke rehabilitation if they've got, you know, aphasia or, 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 or upper limb problems or, you know, walking problems even, you know, I'm asking for selfish reasons, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I did, did have a mum who had a stroke and I do have that, that story. And, yes, we can affect stroke in different ways. Um, we actually set Exarjo up to be, um, a stroke rehabilitation company uh, and to develop equipment for stroke rehabilitation. Oh, wow. Um, and we were always doing these brain-computer interfaces and we actually sort of uh, pivoted a few years ago because this pain issue particularly was was something that's so large, like I say, the largest health issue that we face. Um, but we still do a lot of stroke stuff um, oh, wow. and that will find its way to the market next year. Um, and it's it's pretty exciting what we do there. But the story to kind of go back was I did, I, I, I'm an engineer by by DNA, you know, that's yep. it's, it's me, it's my life. I fix things, I make things. That's when I'm happiest to build things. Um, solve problems, really. And I worked in the offshore oil industry. Uh, I was a marine engineer and commercial diver. Wow. Uh, it's the connection with hyperbarics. Yeah, so, and, <laughs> how powerful that is. Yeah, and, um, you know, I did did that for nine, ten years nearly, and it was fantastic training. You know, when you work offshore, you work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, you do months yep. in. If things are going slow, you work harder because there's so much money involved in all of this stuff. And, it, you know, it was a really good sort of grounding for me um, moving forward. But it, it's wet and cold um, offshore often. So I wanted to get into an office somewhere. And I was more inspired really by things that were high tech, really, rather than the heavy engineer. And although I love the heavy engineer, too. Um, and I found myself in the whole load, you know, wandering across all these different industries from automotive and military and, and actually touching on medical as well. And I was part owner and, and commercial director of a medical center here in Auckland. We had a hyperbaric chamber wow. and because of my diving background. That made sense to me. We were doing training for athletes with interval hypoxia Is, is that still going, by the way? Because I, I don't know. It, it changed hands many times after I left it. I'm not sure if there's it was still dive down. <laughs> yeah, I need to look it up, actually, now you say that. And um, we were doing it with a hypoxic training as well for athletes. I built wow. um, these hypoxic era machines that would strip oxygen yep. from air. I've used those. Um, similarly, altitude training, of course. Um, great, great stuff. And um, my mum had a stroke, completely by surprise. She was 71, 72 at the time. Um, fit woman, uh, walked every day with her dogs, completely to me by surprise that she would, she would have a stroke. Never thought of it. And... As she was across in, in Scotland, where I hail from, and I was here in New Zealand. Thirty-six hours later, I find myself ah. in the hospital in, in Fort William, where I'm from, and here she's lying there, and this just complete shock. She was in shock as much as anything as we were. Knew nothing about stroke, and knew nothing about the sort of journey that faced, uh, you know, was ahead of her and faced her. And it was very simple things struck me quite quickly that that. The two-handed things, and I, I talk about, you know, when she tried to brush her teeth, you know, she, suddenly you're you're a patient, you're sick, you're needy, yep. you're in the hospital, and the simple things like grooming are so important. And she mm. went to brush her teeth, and suddenly she can't get the top off the toothpaste because she needs two hands, mm. and it's a simple, you know, but so important. Mm. Um, this upper limb problem, and 
you know, we never really resolved a lot of those things where she was affected um, cognitively. She was relatively happy afterwards. She was, she said herself, I'm an old lady now and that's fine. And she wasn't really interested in doing too much rehab. She did enough that she was, um, you know, could get to the bathroom herself and you could, her and my dad could go away on holidays and things. So she was relatively happy with where she got to. And I didn't think any more about it than that. I had to build some ramps and handrails and things around her house to help her, try to functionally help her as much as I could, but didn't think too much about the rehabilitation. And about that time, then my my friend, Robbie, who we've been friends since we were kids, um, he was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. And as a chap with MS, his, you know, likely to need to use a wheelchair. His mum had MS, has MS and uses a wheelchair. And so we'd kind of been brought up with that. And I had been building robots at the time, human <laughs> robots. As you do. Maybe when you're an engineer. <laughs> and um, said to him flippantly, let's build you a set of robot legs. And we didn't think any more about it than that. He's an wow. engineer. He said, well, we're batteries and we need two. And we started this crazy conversation. We were both in the UK at the time. And um, we came back here and we said, we're going to build it or stop talking about it, right? So let's build them a set of robot legs. We thought it was about mobility. And mobility is really important. If you think about what you've done in the last 24 hours, imagine trying to do that in wheelchairs. Um, But actually, we found there was this bigger issue of um, the secondary complications of using a wheelchair. You know, bowel, bladder, sexual function, all this stuff. Not sexy, but it really affects people's lives. Mm. Um, And the opposite of sitting is walking and so the exoskeleton the robot that we'd started building was something that would get people up out of a wheelchair it was a kind of upright mobile it could walk it's crazy it like, I'll, I'll link yeah. the video to it because it's yeah. pretty pretty awesome it's great and and the, it, the effect <laughs> for people was that you know they would have you know more control over some of their bodily functions and that they would be able to maybe they could walk and they were using it as a sort of stable platform to learn to rewalk after a stroke and there's a whole load of different applications for that technology and um yeah that was amazing but what what it did to me was it's really i spent 20 years you know that's 20 years ago now that we started that project really wow. i spent 20 years in, in clinics and hospitals all around the world um, with these various technologies and the clinicians kept saying to me Richard you're an engineer can you make me a insert name of medical device here and the issue that was really or the issues that really affect them is you know we pretty much fund these things the same way that we always have done the costs are going up of all of this healthcare stuff we live longer we survive things we never survived before and our expectations are much much higher you know Unlike my mum, who was sort of happy after a stroke, a lot of people hit Google and go, mm. I want to get okay. better. I, yeah. I can do this technology or this piece of science or this medication, and I want I want that. Um, and so people's expectations are, are very, very different from what they once were. And we can't keep up with all that. That's an unsolvable problem, you know. You can't keep applying more technologies and not save money, you know. Then if you take some of the stuff that we do with hearts, for example, you know, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to do something for somebody's, you know, heart function. And then that might be something to replace within a few months. And, you know, these are expensive things. Rightly we get them, but um somehow or another we need to fund them. So my idea was if I can make the clinician's life easier and the patient's life easier fit into both of their their um, workflows if you like their daily lives while getting a good result and saving money then we had something that would be worth doing and 
I'd also spent a lot of time working in various universities around the world too. And and actually, New Zealand has some of the best in, in rehabilitation. Wow. Um, AUT and, and Auckland are fantastic places, other places in the country too. Um, but here was a whole lot of science that I was talking to these scientists about that they had a whole lot of understanding that they had of that clinical process of recovering from something like a stroke that affected my mum. And what they needed was devices and a way to get that stuff out to the market. And so that's where we can we can apply, you know, our understanding and, and build devices. And there was actually quite a lot of devices in stroke already, but like the exoskeleton, which I always sort of seen as a kind of, you know, sh- showing people what we could do and what we were capable of. It was like a leading um, piece of technology. What you really need to be able to do is not have these expensive devices in, in a hospital because if you've had a stroke or you have chronic pain or you whatever it is, get into the hospital. It's no good. You've got to get yeah. at home. Yeah. So let's make these things as inexpensive as we can. Let's use gamification so that we can engage people because we all know what it's like when you have yeah. exercises to do by the doctor or the yeah. physio. We don't want to do them, you know. So gamification actually really helps with that. And we, you know, our ideal and and mostly what we do is a subscription model. So we make these things relatively as inexpensive as we can. We've got a lot of costs we have to cover, but we try and make these things as low risk for somebody to get into as we possibly can. Um, And do your rehab at home. But with the technology, of course, the clinician can have visibility of that. So if you're using a device to try and recover from a stroke or if you're using Axon to try and recover from your pain, you know, all of that stuff's available online. The information that comes from the headset or the device goes up to our cloud server, to the data. It's all secure. And the clinician can log in. He can prescribe different exercises, prescribe different protocols for pain or anxiety if it's Axon. See the data. Uh, get reports back, keep an eye on his patients. So if the patient isn't complying, that old problem of not doing your exercises, why not? Let's help the patient to fix whatever it is that's stopping them from doing that. Or let's take that if they don't want to or can't, let's take it and give it to somebody else who Mm -hmm. can, you know, and use that that technology and, and make those savings. And if they're making the progress and if there's no out of condition alerts if something's going wrong or the, you know there, there's something abnormal the clinician can see that from a distance and therefore we try and tackle these problems early too just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast now if you enjoy pushing the limits if you get great value out of it we would love you to come and join our patron membership program we've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air it's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way but to do that we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out so if you're interested in becoming a patron for pushing the limits podcast then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com that's p-a-t-r-o-n dot lisatamati.com we have two patron levels to choose from you can do it for as little as seven dollars a month new zealand or fifteen dollars a month if you really want to support us so we we are grateful if you do there are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us everything from workbooks for all the podcasts the strength guide for runners uh, the power to vote on future episodes uh, webinars that we're going to be holding all of my documentaries and much much more so check out all the details patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us 
And, you know, when it's stroke rehabilitation, you can see lots of information in people's movement. If you're doing these, these playing these games and there's devices to help people play the games, depending on what functionality they have, you know, your speed and your accuracy and your, your jerk and your acceleration and deceleration, all those things are very meaningful to us in diagnosing where somebody's at. And if it's axon, you know, the data there is so rich, um, even more so because you're looking at somebody's brain function. Wow. So, huge so data it's coming. There's huge data coming changes. off this. Wow. But also that data has a lot of information in it. Think of, you know, over a certain age, 5% of the population will have undiagnosed dementia, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pick yeah. up that dementia early before oh. they even know they have it and oh. start treating it before they know they have it. And therefore, Seriously? Can you do that? Costs. Yeah, is, it, is that what's coming? Like, That's what's are coming. We, 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 oh, I've got so many questions for you. Are you aware of the work of Dr. Peter Diamandis? No. Uh, well, you have to. I have to um, connect you. Um, So he is in charge of uh, Abundance Digital, and he's written a a number of books, but one of the books is is, uh, called Abundance, or another one is uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think, and it's all about these converging technologies and these exponential technologies and how it's actually coming uh, all together now so that we can get all this big data and we can actually, like he says that these um, exponential technologies that we're dealing with are able to, they go through phases of you know being deceptive, disruptive, dematerialized, demonetized, and then democratized, meaning it starts off really, really expensive and then it gets cheaper and it becomes very disruptive in the industries, depending on, you know. He has a, a company called humanlongevity.com, which I like, I have this vision of having that down here, like getting a group of, of people in the medical engineering biotechnical space together to create a one stop sort of warrant of fitness shop. Okay. So if you can stick with the analogy for a second. Yeah. You know, you know how you take your car in for a warranty every year and they do a like check all over. Well, I sort of see an institution or a place where we go and we have like a, a, you know, a half a day or a whole day set of screenings. So now there's new, new MRI technology coming out that's going to be a thousand times cheaper than the current stuff that we have that we're actually going to be able to have in the home eventually. And that will be able to scan our entire bodies and tell us, hey, you've got pancreatic cancer brewing or you've got uh, a bone density issue, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. And then you go through echocardiograms and, and coronary stuff and you, you'll be able to look at your, you know, obviously your blood, uh, markers and all of these things all in one place in one in one sort of setting you know that you yep. go through in maybe five or six hours and then the data that comes off that will, will be able to then prevent people and get this early so when you said that I just went oh my god yeah you know, like I have to have to That's connect what we're you. Doing. That's yeah. What we're doing. yeah because if so- we can fix this before it happens if you yeah. can see that aneurysm that blew in my mum's head six months out before it happened or two years out before it happened. And at the moment I have to go and push and, and, and fight to get another MRI to get it checked every three years and we keep getting forgotten about in the system, you know, all of these types of problems that come with the way it's currently set up. Yeah. If we had this warrant a fitness place, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't well, that way, be amazing? The way that we sort of see that is that we have, um, there's so much information in the brain and, and there's so much there that, that's happening that we're not even aware of that might be um, able to be picked up now. So we had in our clinical trials last year, we had a, 
a woman with glaucoma, and we were able to see an abnormality in her EEG in her brain, electrical activity that pointed us to something being wrong, and we found out that's what it was. Oh my even, gosh! Even with the pain thing, where right now you go to the doctor and you go, "I've got some pain," and he says, "Is it sharp or dull? Where is it? And what is it?" On a scale of one to ten, or ten yeah. worst you've ever felt. I mean, how? unscientific is that and anxiety depression you know are you you know where are you on these sort of scales and then and then and what kind is it you know what kind of pain or what kind of anxiety and what works best for that all these things all that information is sitting up there and we can tap into that now so we even know that that you know being able to even predict who will get pain so there's been quite a bit of work done on that and that's a really important thing because there's a couple of surgeries particularly the hospital we're working with just now they'll sit tell you that you know breast cancer surgeries and knee surgeries are two of the surgeries that you have a lot of ongoing chronic pain after them and so the goal there is to actually be able to predict who will get pain after their surgery and treat it before it even happens and that's the ideal that's the the dream is that we pick all this stuff up in the brain um we're able to diagnose it accurately we're able to put some numbers around it we're able to um you know pick different types, pick different therapies, whether it's, you know, the therapy that we're doing or it's a drug therapy or a combination or whatever it is. Amazing. Um, and yeah, try and cut out all those costs. You know, oh, this is just, this is forward. just yeah. next level. So, I mean, your technology, what, you know, right now is all around the pain, but this has got like, well, it's the pain, the pain, anxiety, depression that we, we're kind of concentrating on just now that we're focusing on. So we've got about eight or nine trials this year that are, that are kicking off. Um, so large one in pain with a couple of different arms on it. Um, the anxiety trials that we have going in the UK and the US this year as well. Um, and then also concussion is another thing that keeps oh. coming up for us as well. So we're looking at concussions. So, you know, the concussion thing, again, it's a it's a big issue. There's, Huge. there's lots of money and financial and legal sort yes. of issues around this. You'll have seen the professional sports problems. Yep. Um, and, you know, our, our thinking there is that we would be able to diagnose concussion at the side of the side of the pitch and you know if somebody's knocked out they go to hospital and they get treated accordingly generally speaking it's the people who slip through that net they don't oh, yeah, they're yeah. not unconscious they they go back on and play or they don't whatever it is and there was some of the clinicians were oh, telling me it takes right. an average 30 days to diagnose somebody with concussion yeah and then you've got a multiple year problem yeah, and I mean, I mean, we're not even because I, you know, do a lot of work with concussion because um, I had a you know hyperbaric uh, uh, clinic as well, which I've now also sold. But um, that that you know that when we we had that program on Sunday the other week, and not one person mentioned hyperbaric, not one person mentioned neurofeedback, and not one person mentioned supplements for brain injury, of which there are many that can help. Um, and it just seems to be like, why is there this disconnect from, from what's actually happening in the lab to what's actually been offered in the clinics and, and the and the hospitals? And why do the doctors and things not know about any of this information? Like those friends that you mentioned on neurofeedback, you know, the neuro stuff, rehabilitation, when my mum had her aneurysm, which is, you know, five years ago now, but I was never offered or told. And I'm like, I mean, I'm in this space now and I still don't know some of those connections that you're talking about up there, which I'd be really interested to have. Um, why is there this disconnect between what's actually happening in the lab and what's actually happening in clinics? Yeah, well, it's difficult, you know, because there is a heavy, heavily regulated area, medical 
you know, whether it's pharmacological or whether it's devices, and quite rightly so, we don't want people pushing out anything um, that isn't that isn't right. You know, so it's it's correct that there is all these protections and regulations and all the rest of it in place. They are quite um, cumbersome. There is a lot of it, and there is a huge amount of cost associated with actually getting something like this through. So, if you take something like Axon, because it is a diagnostic device that makes that moves it up the classifications, it's a safe device which helps bring it down a little bit because it's low risk. We're not actually putting anything into the brain; we're no. measuring. But because it's diagnosing, because it's measuring, and we're using that information, then then that's quite heavily regulated, and it actually costs many millions, more than tens of millions to actually bring something like that to the market. Oh, so you've got to have somebody who is um, dedicated to that story to actually get it there. So how, how have you done, like, how, you know, if I can ask, you know, you know, share what you're willing to share, but how do you get backing for something like this project that you've done and for Rex Bionics, what you did with the exercise? How, how did you go about doing that? Because... We need, like, there is apparently now more money available for venture capital and things like, you know, in the, in the universe. But it's like, well, how do, how, do you, how do people with brilliant ideas get that support when they're not, you know, that's not their expertise area? So yeah. how did you do it? Well, most will fail. You know, and that's the other sad thing is that most people that try and take some of this technology to the market will fail. So you're you're on an uphill battle from the start. It helps to be slightly mad um, because <laughs> it would be sure be easier to go and work for somebody else oh, than, yeah. than to do this. But that's probably a little bit like you know your your athleticism and everything as well. You know, you, you know you it'd be easier to give up than it would be to keep going. I'm sure in a lot of the things that you do. Um, it's that passion and it's that drive and it's that connection to the patients. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. Once you know that that problem is there, you can't unknow that problem. And I guess that's what drives us is, is actually the patients at the end of the day, we care. So we have a team of people who, who care and they're funded by a team of people who care. Wow. You know, I, you know, the first time round with Rex Bionics, we went down the venture capital route. We yep. had investors who, they all have their own, um, goals that they have to meet. They have this their own pushes and pulls, and they don't always match with the company. and mm. And that's what's most important, I think, in setting something like this up is the shareholder alignment and finding people who actually, you know, are are on the journey with you. And I was very fortunate this time um, to to meet some people from the Middle East who we had some New Zealand. Um, angel investors i suppose if you like but they're they're very sophisticated um angel investors who fund, funded the company from the start um and then i was very fortunate to meet some individuals in based around the middle east and um, they're not all from the middle east but based around there yeah. Yeah. Uh, who actually really love the the cause that we're on but also oh. can see the commercial you know advantages of what we do and therefore the money that the company could make from that while at the same time saving you know people's yeah. You know, and this is suffering, you know. Yeah, this is the perfect combination. If it's, you it's can, a, yeah, it's a noble cause, but yeah. it's also got a great commercial application. But a great commercial, yeah. You know, if we, if you know, we we should make some money from this, and quite rightly so. These investors have have risked significant amounts of their personal capital to get us yeah. here. Wow. Um, but we reckon that we could save something like, you know, seventy percent of the cost, sixty seventy percent of the cost that's associated with pain right now. And like I said, in those five countries, it's a one point eight trillion dollar a year problem. You know, if they took Axon and used it for pain alone, 
in the National Health Service in the UK, we estimated that'd be somewhere between a two and seven billion dollar a year saving. Wow. And, and, oof, this what is, could you do with that money, you know? Yeah. So, and then and then you can allocate those resources to something else. And then it's people are you up against, you know, and this is a bit of a tricky question, but are you up against powers in the pharmacological side of the industry? that are against what you're doing because you will take a piece of the pie? No, I don't think so. Um, the the pharma companies, you know, we, we've all seen all the headlines about the opiate crisis and it's massive and it's a tragedy and it's it's a huge social issue and, and it's, gosh, it's a, a whole programme in itself plus. Um, but the pharma companies now know that they need to do something different. Um, you know, the drugs they make are, you know, the pain drugs and everything are fantastic. Bless them. We need those. In yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, glad to have them there in the toolbox. Uh, they were overused and overprescribed. There's no, yeah. no question about that. Um, they know they need to do something different now. And you actually see the pharma companies investing quite heavily in this digital medicine space as well. Awesome. Uh, and so I think it's it's a time, you know, this is the time when it has to change. People were, it was a huge wake up, the opiate crisis, the overprescription of these things, what are we going to do different? And the pharma companies are on that same journey, whether they like it or not, they, they have to do things differently. So I think we're all kind of pushing in the same direction. Yeah, is it, is it a bit like the uh, auto industry, you know, where they were, you know, the combustion engine was rolling and then the, the big car companies now are, are actually the ones that were too slow to react and going with the electric, you know, vehicles evolution, revolution, um, are now all coming on board, but you're actually being beaten. They're being beaten to the punchline by things like Tesla and, you know, other uh, tech giants now. Um, because if you drag the chain too long, you, you, you're going to miss the boat. You know, you might as well, but like Kodak with their digital yeah. digital cameras, they discovered the digital camera and then didn't take it on because they, they thought it was a threat to their main um, income. And so they actually, you know, missed the boat and, and yeah. went under for it. And I think you, like now, this is where I see the small entrepreneur, like you, you guys, you know, like I mean, small, you're not small, but you know what I mean, in comparison to say a Johnson & Johnson or something, um, Actually, more nimble, more able to react to the to the market, more flexible. We're not. I think it, the future. Looking at the future, these big cumbersome institutions, whether they're governmental or big big companies, are actually going to be slower to the react than the smaller entrepreneur who's got a crazy idea is in the back of his shed doing some tinkering around. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I used to joke that some of these big companies would have spent more on lunches than we've spent developing the technology, you know, but it's probably true. Yeah. yeah. And even still, though, it's still into, into those tens of millions. So it's, yeah. it's hard to compete in that space if you're not one of those big companies. That's not their fault in any, any way, shape. No, or it's just huge. It's, it's just too just big. It's a big problem to solve, you know. Um, and, you know, here in New Zealand we, is actually one of the better places to develop this technology. We have a really good yeah. framework here. We have really good legislation sort of around us. We have some fantastic schools and things. So I think we're, you know, obviously I'm Scottish, you can tell from the accent, but um, I've been here for near 30 years. So wow. New Zealand actually works really well as a place to develop it. So we've got a few advantages um, down here uh, from that. But yeah. it is um, it is a changing time, and the people speak. You know, the the people are fed up with the opiate crisis, and the governments then have to oh, follow, and and you know, changes have to be made. 
Oh, this is just fantastic. And and where do you see like this going? And then, so you're in the middle of cr- clinical trials right now in New Zealand. Um, and once you've gotten through, are these like um, phase one, two, three clinical trials? Is this going to be on the market very soon? Are we going to be able to buy these devices? And is they going? Are they going to be too expensive for the average person to be able to access? Or how's that going to work? Yeah. Well, we. We're in trials um, because, you know, trials are the, the value of the company. You know, you have to have these trials behind you for the, the medical community to get behind it. You know, great idea. If you don't have enough trials, you're not, you're not going to buy it. And quite rightly so. So we did some uh, smaller trials last year in the UK. We got really good results from those. Um, that's prompted larger trials now in New Zealand. So we have a trial here which is for chronic pain, which is, you know, large enough to be clinically significant, statistically significant in the numbers that are in it. Um, it's a gold standard trial. It's the sham controls. It has, wow. um, you know, the clinicians are blinded. They don't know who's been treated and not treated so that they can't bias the outcome, all that sort of stuff. We're um, in the middle of opening up another uh, arm for that in the UK and the NHS over there so that that would be, you know, multi-site, multi-centre multi, multi uh, center sort of trial, wow. which adds credibility again to it. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to, you know, launch that device commercially in the market next year, early next year. Um, we do have, uh, hopefully not too far away from now, uh, being able to actually sell in in the US, we're not quite ready for that yet. We need to up our production levels and things, but we're we're not far away from actually making our first sales in the US as it is. Gosh. Um, the pricing, like I say, we're trying. We haven't fixed on that yet, but what we're trying to do is a subscription model to make it affordable. You know, so you're paying over, you know, the months that you're using the thing rather than one big lump sum cost up front, which is a risk for people when they don't know what they're getting. Where we can with, say, some of the stroke devices, it may well be the clinic that owns the stroke device and they can lease that to a patient for one month. If that's yep. you know, and a different device for a different month, and that takes away that that capital kind of risk for the patients as well. We're not buying it. Some of these would be short term, you know. Some of it's short term. You, yeah, you don't need it. Yeah. You might want different devices to incentivize you for different times and, and you know different stages of your journey. So there's a whole. Um, we're trying to make this something that, that we can get out there as simply as we can. And even the, you know, we actually got one of the large uh, accounting and consultancy firms to do some market research for us rather than Richard says, this is how many units we're going to sell, you know, yeah, yeah. a spreadsheet. Um, we actually got one of the big, one of the big four to go out and do that work for us. And at the very smallest amounts of numbers that they came back with, we're swamped. We just wow. can't keep up with the You wouldn't be able to keep yeah. up with production. And, and that's what we've seen. You know, we we did some stuff in the news here in New Zealand, you know, a couple of months ago and almost within almost within a week, I think, the trials were, you know, we've got more people interested than there is spaces and we're getting inquiries from all around the world because of that. Um, so, you know, it, it is the biggest problem that there is out there just now is chronic pain. So it's no surprise to us that those people are interested in getting it. So, I, you know, commercialization next year, because of the numbers, you know, we, we, we are on a noble cause. We care about our patients. We want to make sure we've got the, the systems and processes and the people in place to be able to actually cope with that. Um, so we're actually kind of ramping up the company ramp, wow. you know, through the end of this year. So I kind of think of it as, you know, science this year, 2021, commercialization next year. It's not quite true because we're doing a little bit of commercialization this year. But I think of those as beta sales. Make sure yes. you get the flow of information and yes. product and everything correct. 
so that when we do it in a larger scale, we've got it all kind of wow. nailed down. You know, you're, you're an incredible time. Oh, you're an incredible man because you've had like a, such a, a breadth of, of experience across, you know, like coming from the oil and gas industry into the bio, you know, into Rex Bionics and exoskeletons, now over into neuroscience. And like um, I, what I like to pick the brains of, of these, or I hate that word, but, you know, of, of these incredible people that have crossed industries who have used their skill set to go into an area where they perhaps, you know, like did you know how to scale a business up like this? Did you know how to go and work with hospitals and universities? You know, um, you, you had an engineering background, but how did you get your head around actually moving across industries like this and being so multi-talented, if you like, and being able to to scale a, a big businesses, work with partners and venture capitalists and, and do all these things when you're one little bloke who did an engineering, you know, um, in coming yeah. from that. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I, there, well, there, there's no real answer to it, uh, you know, one answer to it. It's make lots of mistakes, you know, <laughs> keep, keep trying. Um you know, and you don't you don't start off on that journey. You know, I didn't. I wasn't sitting in an oil rig one day and thought, I know, I'm going to build some medical device companies and, and move <laughs> into that world. Exactly. Somebody said you've had an interesting career, and I, I don't even think of it. I didn't think of it as a career. I do know that, that I've spent 20 years in medical, and I can see that's that was obviously what I was meant to do. But um, I had a load of jobs, but they they strangely sort of weaved together. You know. Um, I was brought up in the Highlands of Scotland. We didn't have a lot of money, so I used to make um, my own kayaks and things, you know, because couldn't afford to buy them. So yeah. I knew something about fiberglass. And then later on, we worked for a, a company that built fiberglass buses, you know. And then, you know, and then it just went on like that, you know, and, and being able to build things and shape things and mold things then worked for the plastics of the headset, wow. you know, and it, it just it all tied together. But I think there's there's a lot of people out there on the, you know, there's ups and downs in that journey. Um, it hasn't all been successful. You know, there's certainly been some painful parts there. Um, but there's a lot of good people out there who are trying to do the same thing. You know, there's people like yourself that are trying to promote, you know, yeah. democratize and, you know, the, this medicine and things. And even within the health systems, although, gosh, they can be cumbersome yeah. um, and it does take time. You know, I've, I've had, you know, doctors banging on a table saying, I want my device within two weeks. And two years later, me actually getting the, the purchase order, you know, because it took that long to line up insurance policies and tax yep. systems and, you know, you name it. Um, but there's some really good people in there that are trying to do good things as well. And those are the people that we work with. So you're not, it's not adversarial. You're not butting heads with these people. You're working with people that are trying to do the same thing as you, you know. And I think that's really important. We've been very careful this time um, with this company, whether it's the investors we've picked who have that alignment, the, the scientists and clinicians that we work with have that same sort of thought process and alignment. You know, the, the trial we did last year in the UK, um, was with one particular clinician, but a, a, a rehabilitation center, a neuro rehab center in the, the Midlands there in, in 
and they've got that sort of ethos of trying to take the best technology for their patients and trying to keep pushing the boundaries. And so we were working with people like that who are already kind of thinking in the same way. And that's that's what we do. If we, you know, if we didn't meet the right folk, we wouldn't we wouldn't get into bed with them, you know. Yeah. And it's just it's so so yeah. it's um it's who not how. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it's absolutely who not how, yeah. There was no no cunning plan there. And I suppose, you know, at the times when it is difficult, I you know, like all the psychological side of the things that you do, it's just too important to us personally, but we also feel that pull from the patients. It's too important to the patients. I couldn't live with myself if, if yeah. I gave up on this journey because yeah. patients are going to suffer, you know. Yeah. Um, and the stories that we hear, you know, that's what keeps the, the engineering team going too, you know, the stories that clinical teams as well, the stories that they hear every day um, about people being able to do things that they weren't able to do before or have done for a long time. That's what drives them through. And, and one of the doctors actually said recently, you know, that's what he trained for. You know, he trained to make people's lives better. Exactly, exactly. So, and that's that the core is, is at every doctor's and every clinician's wish is to actually help their patients. And sometimes the the, the systems we set up and the limitations of resources and the, the bureaucracy and the box ticking that has to go on sometimes is a hindrance. And the and the you know, but we I think we 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 we're we're, we're at a time in history where where things are changing very very fast, and it's super exciting to think what's coming down like in the line you know in the longevity space which I'm being heavily researched into and um, I'm, I'm just excited for the changes and the abilities of the, the little person if you like to actually make an impact and a dent in the universe if you like and to be able to make a change and this is this is why it fascinates me to interview someone like you because uh, you know I, I, I'm, I'm the same like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm I've been an athlete I've been a jeweler and I've been a uh, I've done a hundred different careers. I've been an author, a documentary maker, a TV uh, presenter, a radio, you know, you know, you name it, I've pretty much done it. And I've never, ever uh, had any qualifications for any of the things or, or hardly any of them. <laughs> yeah. But you just bumble on in and learn learn on the way. And now when you start to look back over your own life and the the, the pieces and that the things that happened to you, like my mum's journey tipped me into a complete new world of of rehabilitation and then trying to and then understanding that the limitations of our medical uh, current system and then trying to not not as an accusatory way, but it's just the way things are that you just don't get access to things and things are not running as they should do and there are limited resources and so on and then realizing there's a complete new world of research out there that has not been tapped into and then wanting to share that with the world and that's my passion now is to be able to connect the right people help people optimize their own health be in the care in the prevention industry not in the disease look you know sick care industry when I see that paradigm shift coming and I'm really really excited about all these technologies that are now going to be able to make it you know like there are things coming like we mentioned before like there's um MRIs coming that are going to be so cheap, you're going to be able to have it in your home, be able to scan your own body, send that to your doctor. They'll be able to diagnose what's happening, on, you know, and you'll be able to do this every few months to make sure that things are on track and you don't get that stroke and that heart attack and that aneurysm or that cancer hitting you out of the apparent blue when it's actually been building for a long time. You just didn't see it. Um, so, and this is a piece of that puzzle because neuro 
you know, EEG and neurofeedback and all of this sort of stuff and being able to look inside the brain is just, oh, I'm just so excited right now. <laughs> and, and to do it, and, and we are too, and to be able to do that cheaply and to do it at home and everything, as yes. you say, you know, it's a convergence of technology. It's a convergence of the market as well because of the, the opiate thing. And, and, you know, we've had enough of all of that sort of stuff. But also we need to, you know, we can't keep growing the way that we're growing, you know, more and more people on the planet and, you know, higher yeah. expectations and living longer and all this. We have to have that dramatic change and the dramatic changes is right now and I like to think we're we're at the front of that you know if we yes. can um, have this headset home for somebody who has pain but then you know be able to actually pick up some other issue you know that, that might be happening there or or use it in the back of an ambulance or on the side of a pitch or wherever that might oh, be gosh. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of places where you can put a relatively inexpensive piece of plastic with a whole load of science and technology and good people behind it at the other end automating much of this information you know and you know, the EEG space is, is, you know, we do pretty much, the machines now, you know, they've got a little bit more modern and all the rest of it, but they pretty much do now what they did 100 years ago. Well, you know, a smart device, um, you know, a phone has got so much computing power on it, you can automate, yeah. you know, the looking of all of that data, you know. The, the brain has all these, you know, it's, it's fixed patterns, if you like, in so many ways for so many different things. You can read those patterns and you can understand those patterns. That was actually where we did some of our early work was in thought control of the exoskeleton legs. Wow. wow. So that somebody would think walk and or think stand or whatever it was and actually be able to move move the exoskeleton around. So that's, you know. That's really? That's came. already happening? Yeah. So that, that brain that, computer a, interface is already there. It is a brain computer interface. That's what we do, you know. So. We do that. We don't do it every day. We like to do that actually as a demonstration of our technology. So, you know, we've got one of our guys uses a wheelchair. He jumps an exoskeleton. He thinks walk, and the device walks. We've got videos of that online if you have a, oh. a look on YouTube and things. Then. And it's a good demonstration because often when you're fixing pain, there's nothing happening for somebody externally to see. So, you know, that pattern recognition you know, for the walks and the stands and all the rest of them. That's why we do this for the demo. But the serious side of it is that we can recognize patterns and for other things as well, whether that's, you know, dementia or it's concussion or it's different types that's of anxiety. Just, yeah. You know, and machines and with, you know, some smart machine learning or some AI, you can actually start to decode all of that stuff. And we only get better at it every single day. Every, every time somebody uses a machine and does a session, they, they give us 1.4 million lines of data. Wow. And you can interpret. So you're going to be able to interpret using the same device. Yeah. You're going to be able to, in future, not only deal with pain and chronic pain issues, you will be able to tell if someone's getting dementia and, and, and all these other things, what addictions maybe or other other issues that you might be able to help people to retrain their brain to do all within the same device, but with different data sets coming through. Different data sets and different linking up to different technologies as well. So we mentioned, you know, can we use it for stroke? So some of the work that's been done in stroke, Auckland University Technology have a, a fantastic um, project in this. It's a, called Excite BCI. Uh, we provide the technology, they provide the science, roughly speaking. Um, that's how it's split. And what they do is we look at somebody so that, you know, you do exercises when you've had your stroke, you do your basic rehabilitation exercises. We put them into an app. Um, and if you look at a planned exercise, so say somebody's learning to sit 
to stand. We can see their intention to move one and a half to two seconds before they actually move. We know they're going to move before they know they're going to move, basically. That signal follows the same pattern every time. Um, it's about that pattern recognition and 50 milliseconds before they move, we fire a small electrical stimulation in the nerve that they're thinking about. So if you take something like foot drop after a stroke or somebody's foot's dragging, that has oh, a really I'm dealing big with that with mum. Yeah, yeah. That's a really big effect on on people's worlds getting smaller because if you fall when you walk, you'll tend to walk less. And the less you walk, the less good you are at walking. And so it becomes a, a negative oh, kind of feedback. I've got to get you to help me with that one then. <laughs> yeah, so we need to talk to the, the scientists down at AUT, the clinicians at AUT. So what we found is that, you know, basically three 15-minute sessions using Excite BCI gives somebody an 11% improvement in their walking speed. Now, that's not the best measure of walking, but it's a good measure that, that actually oh improves people's walking and makes their life bigger. Um, and so the work that we're doing there is rather than doing that again in a clinic is to use something like Axon and do that home. And you could do that for hours a day. Every time you're planning to move, we would pick up that intention to move. We'd fire that small electrical signal on the nerve. Now, it's not a functional electrical stimulation. So we're not firing a big electrical current and making that food move. The way I think of it, and it's, again, my engineering speak, is if you need that much electricity to make the the foot move, we give them that much and they do the last bit themselves. They so their intention, themselves. they're tripping it and making it go. So wow. they're teaching themselves. And that's that's kind of my my engineering view of it, but that's that's what works. So, so, we, you know, so with that foot, foot, foot uh, drop, so this is one of the main things that I've struggled with for five years with mum because she was paralysed on the right side and she had yeah. the right side foot just still doesn't lift. Um, and and I'm trying to get her to, you know, kick kick her leg out, lift her toes so that she lands on her heel and not her, not jamming her toe into the ground. I tried a perennial nerve, is it? The perennial nerve yep. in the, in the um, leg yep. stimulation device that I bought from China online. Um, cost me quite a lot and didn't work. Um, is that because, you know, like is, is it a, a brain thing or like that would – if, if with your devices or with what the guys do at AUT, is it something that would be trained from here rather than a device that you strap on your leg per se that stimulates? Yeah, it's 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 the brain side, if you like. I mean, there, there, you can get devices which have a functional electrical stimulation. So yeah, it's a big enough. It's that same nerve that you're talking about that we work with for for foot drop. But you can get a, a big electrical stimulation that will lift the foot. Yeah, so there that's is what devices I was doing, that can do that, and it and it's it can be timed on the person's gait. So when they're at a certain phase of their gait, it will fire that electrical stimulation and lift. They kind of that's good. Nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. The people who do that are brilliant. Um, but that doesn't teach the reteach the person to exactly. To so it didn't work stuff. for mum because. Yeah. The brain, it was the brain that was not firing it's, that nerve. I, yeah, I it'll tend not to teach them because the timing around all of that stuff is down to tens of milliseconds. If you do it without a certain, with a certain range, and that's true of our neurofeedback and everything as well, is that you know, out with a certain range, the brain knows that it's it's been tricked, if you like, right. it not making that connection itself. And with your aneurysms or strokes or anything, it's a brain injury. It's not a leg injury or anything. So you've got to fix it at the kind of source of the problem. Wow. Same with the pain. You've got to fix it in the brain. You know, it's oh, not so the, be, 
attacking the wrong end of the stick, so to speak. Well, those are those are useful tools and they're good, but I can point you in the direction of a couple of interesting clinicians in that space. One, Definitely. if you look at certain neurophysio, physiotherapists, um, some of them are great at getting results in that kind of retraining. Um, and then if you talk to the clinicians at AUT that they're running clinical trials right now, there's a three-year, 27-month clinical trial funded by the Health Research Council um, here in New Zealand to look at the dozing of Excite BCI. It's a it's fin- a fascinating oh, and fantastic project, it. you know. I'll so there's lots of different things. <laughs> if you if you link, you know, axon, not just the neurofeedback, but but the whole sort of kind of neuroscience stick, if you link it with other devices and other things that are happening, other drugs even, you know, then then you can start to get all these different effects. You know? Wow. So you, this is just absolutely incredible technology. Um, Richard, I've, I've taken up a heap of your time today, and I'm, but I'm just really super excited about what you're doing and uh, very grateful that you have such a passion for this because obviously it is going to ease the suffering of perhaps millions of people worldwide You know, once this gets full into swing and the implications of it obviously are greater you know far so far reaching that um this this is super important work and thank you very much for making this happen and uh being so uh you know i just find a brain like yours just fascinating (laughs) someone should do an eeg on your your brain and to see how you think so laterally and outside the box because that's absolutely fabulous (laughs) oh that's very flattering i think what i do is i actually just um I just I have all these smart people who surround me and I kind of just try and get them to do things that they might not necessarily want to do in time frames they don't necessarily want to do them in <laughs> kind of what I do for a living really um, there's a, a brilliant team behind all of this you know there's so many specialities and so many different things but um, they're all driven by that same passion to actually help people at the end of the day and, and it will affect you know millions tens of millions of people's lives um, over the next coming years so that's yeah it's, it really is our pleasure and it's been my pleasure to be part of your podcast as well thank you very well, much we will be sharing about this progress uh, ongoing i hope and um we'll put up all the links in the show notes but um richard thank you so much for your time today and your work it's been fabulous been my pleasure thank you that's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 